amazed at how fast time flies. Well, we met at the end of November, and now it's almost mid-January, and I'm just delighted that you've said that you're going to come back to Heartstrings. How many of you, yeah, as you're coming in, feel free to just keep looking for those tables, and we'll let, and this first week is always hard because you come in not knowing where you're sitting, so, because uh, we like to change it up, people who are at the back come up to the front and vice versa. Um, how many of you are new to Heartstrings? Like, maybe you've never been here, or you haven't been here in years. Let me see your hands. Whoa, that's a lot. Hold them up really, really high so people see. Because it's the job of the rest of us to make you feel right at home. Right, everybody? So I know that a lot of you are thrilled that you get to come back and sit with the people that you know. But your role also is to help everybody else feel really welcomed and warm and invited. So thanks for doing that and taking that really, really seriously. Hey, as we give people just another minute to find their tables, would you start off opening that que- uh, with that opening question? Um, okay, if you're new to heartstrings, if you're new to heartstrings, let me tell you how we do this. I teach a while, or the... <laughs> Try to teach a while. <laughs> I teach a while, and then I give you a question to answer around your tables so that you can uh, not just take stuff that I say. That's just a sermon, and that's, sermons are good, but I don't think they're enough. I think you have to have a time when you go to a small group and you discuss what we're talking about. And so I'm really, really excited about what you um, what happens today. Oh, I just have that little quote on your note-taking guides there under the prayer goal. I love this quote that I've had for years and years and years. I don't know who Dom Chapman is, but he wrote this, Pray as you can, not as you can't. So a lot of you go, well, I can't pray like so-and-so. Okay, pray as you can. And that little blank right there, it's my goal that this year everybody becomes a prayer out loud. A prayer out loud. Take your Bibles. Open to Philippians. Actually, open the book of Acts. Let me tell you, I love Philippians. My love for Philippians started when I was in high school. I was on a quiz team and I had to memorize the book of Philippians and had to do, uh, you know, this quiz team stuff. And I fell in love with the book of Philippians. And then, as I'll tell you in a little bit, in 1978, it literally changed my life. Well, let's start, first of all, with talking about the origins of the Philippians, of the book of Philippians, Okay. The neat thing is, it's one of the rare cases where we actually know how the Philippian church began. We don't know that about every book in the New Testament, but we do know how the Philippian church began. If you turn to Acts chapter 16, and somewhere on your note-taking guides, would you write assignment? I want to give you an assignment this week. Study chapter 16 of Acts. And you'll find out how the church got started. We're not going to take enough time today to go in-depth with how it started. But I think it'll be really encouraging to you to study how the book, how it started. Paul was on his second missionary trip. We find that in Acts chapter 15, verse 35, or 30. Uh, 36. Look at chapter 15, verse 36. Sometime later, Paul said to Barnabas, let's go back and visit the brothers in all the towns where we preached the word of the Lord and see how they're doing. And so they, uh, Barnabas ends up, uh, you know, there's a split between Paul and Barnabas and 
Paul starts taking Silas and they go back to all of the churches that they have started. But as they go along, um, they look at the churches that these some of the struggling churches where they where they started, and they're heading northwest because they're going to visit some little churches, and then something happens, an upset plan. Have you ever had any plans upset that you thought you knew exactly what you were going to do and then you found out, oh, things didn't go exactly like I thought? We're going to talk about that in just a minute. But as I read this again the last couple of weeks, I went, oh my goodness, this is a great lesson for me. Suddenly, God upsets Paul's plans. Look at Acts chapter 16, verses 6 to 12. Acts 16, verses 6 to 12. Paul and his companions traveled throughout the region of Pergia and Galatia, having been kept by the Holy Spirit from preaching the word in the province of Asia. Isn't that interesting? They're headed towards Asia, and somehow the Holy Spirit says no. So when they came to the border of Mysia, they tried to enter Bithynia, but the Spirit of Jesus would not allow them to... Wow. So they passed by Mysia and went down to Troas. Now, we don't know how they knew that they didn't, couldn't do that. We don't know if it was a vision. We don't know if it was circumstances. We don't know if it was a prophetic gift from Paul or someone else. But somehow they just knew that the Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit, was saying, you cannot go into these areas. Interesting. And then verse 9. During the night, Paul had a vision of a man of Macedonia standing and begging him. Macedonia was the region uh, where where Philippi was a city. And in this vision, he heard this man saying, come over to Macedonia and help us. After Paul had seen the vision, we, Luke is writing this, Dr. Luke, and he evidently is joining them right here, and Luke begins, then for many chapters, begins talking from that first person. We got ready at once to leave for Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. And I read that and I go, oh my goodness, um, here, uh, here we have our plans. I'm going to do this. I think that I should do this. I think God's telling me to do this. And then suddenly God says, no, you can't. And all kinds of different things stop us from doing those things. Sometimes some of you had physical things. You thought, man, I should do things this way, and then physical stuff has just assaulted you and you've not been able to. Sometimes circumstances, sometimes a person. And you go, I thought that I should be doing things this way, and my plans are interrupted. Maybe it's just the everyday kind of things of, I wanted to study the word, and my kids threw up all over me. Or my husband got sick. Or I got sick. But I wonder, just kind of as an introductory question, we won't spend a lot of time on this, but just to think about this on your questions, on your note-taking guys there, how do you do when God seems to upset your plans and dreams? Or when he interrupts your schedule or your life? Now, this is the important question. Does your answer reflect your need for further surrender of your schedule or your plans? It's, it's just kind of a little throw-out thing there because I just couldn't get past that. That God just interrupts Paul's plans and Paul says, okay, I'm going to listen. I'm going to do what you tell me to. How do we do when God seems to... I, I wonder in the middle of that because when God's stopping him, he doesn't know that God's going to call him over here. He just knows that God's stopping him. How do you do when your plans get interrupted? I don't even know if it's a good question, but take a couple minutes and try it. Go.
30 seconds. Um, okay, I'm going to add a little bit more to that. So you haven't come to any good resolutions there yet, probably, or any final stuff. That's okay, because I want to throw some more stuff out and let you kind of continue to process this. I heard something great at this table where somebody said, um, um, you know, uh, how'd you say it, Brooke? I just heard you say it. Um, what she just Yeah, we don't thank him. You know, when he closes a door, we don't thank him. And Megan said, yeah, maybe five years later we do, after we see how he worked. I want to add a little more to this to kind of help you and me think about what do we do in these kinds of situations. Because I heard somebody said it in another table, and it's so true, I think maybe I just haven't heard him right. They go, well, maybe I haven't heard him. Maybe I don't know how to listen to God. I want to talk about this. I want to talk about sensitivity to the leading of the Holy Spirit. Sensitivity to the leading of the Holy Spirit. And that's where, you know, uh, Paul, at verse 10, after Paul had seen the vision, we got ready at once to leave for Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. There is evidently, and if you read Paul's story, you know, there is a deep sensitivity to the Holy Spirit. Deep sensitivity. And it really... Um, this is a man that, that just seems to know how God's leading, what God's saying, when God's stopping. And I began thinking that this church is begun because of one man's willingness to be open to the Holy Spirit, to listen carefully to the Holy Spirit, even when he had no idea how the Holy Spirit was leading. He didn't know that God was going to call him to Philippi when God's closing the doors over here. But he was sensitive to the leading of the Holy Spirit. And it made me think about something that I'm really walking through a lot in my life right now. Take your Bibles and turn to the book of John, chapter 10. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. If you're new to heartstrings and you're not good at looking stuff up in scriptures, the rest of you, what do we say? We don't care. You just take as much time as you need, and we don't care how long it takes you. You'll get better. We looked at the book of John last semester at this chapter, and I am gripped with this verse in chapter 10 where Jesus says, verse 3, the watchman opens the gate for the shepherd, and the sheep listen to his voice. The sheep listen to his voice and then look over in verse um, verse 16 I have other sheep that are not of this sheep pen let's talk about you and me and millions of others I must bring them also they too will listen to my voice and there will be one flock and one shepherd I am just um, asking God all the time that he would help me be a person who gets better and better and better at hearing the voice of my shepherd. That I would get better and better at being sensitive to the Holy Spirit's voice in my life. I'm praying that for you too. I'm praying that for our church too. That we'll get better and better at being sensitive to the leading of the Holy Spirit. I read some stuff that Bill Hybels wrote about this that I thought was really, really good. I put it on your notes right there. He talks about hearing from God. He says this, Over my years as a follower of Christ, I have grown to put a great deal of importance on what I call leadings from God. 
These spiritual leadings happen when you are, and he's going to give about four things. I want you to notice them and even put one, two, three, four by them. These leadings happen better when you are in tune with the Holy Spirit, are fully devoted to Christ. These leadings come when you are growing in the Word, in prayer, and fellowship. To hear God's still small voice, you need to create a, this is really kind of number six, you need to create a quiet center in your life that makes a place for him. Through these leadings, you gain guidance and direction from God. I love that quote. Because it really speaks to me about how am I doing... Many of us say, many Christians say, I want to be good at hearing the voice of the the shepherd. I want to be good at, at sensing the leading of God. Wouldn't you say that? I'll bet you every person in this room would say, yeah, sign me up. But it doesn't just happen automatically. And Heibel, I think, really nails it there when he says, these spiritual leadings happen better when you're in tune with the Spirit... When you're fully devoted to Christ, if you say, I really, really, really want to hear the leadings of Jesus and you're living a sinful lifestyle, you may as well give it up. It ain't going to happen. When you're fully devoted to Christ and when you're growing in his word, in prayer, and in fellowship, and when you're creating that, that inner place for him to really speak, when you're getting quiet enough for him to shape and transform and cleanse and purify and sanctify, then it will get easier and easier for us to be led by the Holy Spirit. Now, I know that some people just tend to be more sensitive than others. Some of you, by your very nature, some of you who have a lot of a melancholy nature, you tend to be more sensitive to sometimes just spiritual things. You tend to be more sensitive to uh, nuances in relationships. You tend to come in, and some of you uh, who are real sensitive, you can even tell when somebody around your table is is you know feeling certain ways or acting certain ways, and they haven't said anything. You're just more sensitive. Some people are more sensitive than others. But I think that all of us can become more sensitive. I think all of us can become, if we begin seeking, doing these things that Heibel talks about, and begin praying, God, help me to be more and more sensitive to the voice of the Holy Spirit, this quiet, deep, inner leading of God. Help me. If we begin seeking that, I think that it can happen. I mean, I think about just my relationship with John. I am very, very sensitive to his moods. Well, he didn't have any moods, but I'm very sensitive to when he does have a mood. Um, I'm very sensitive to his... Feelings about things, and that's happened. Why? Because for 40 some years now, I have just walked with that man. I have learned that man. I have walked through life with that man. I just know him so well. I am much more sensitive to who he is and what he thinks. I mean, many times I know what he's thinking long before he says it. And he the same way with me. Why? Because we just have grown to know one another so well. The same thing happens with us with Jesus, with us with the Holy Spirit. We can become more sensitive to him. And I want to challenge you to become a person who says, I'm going to seek to be a person who really is hearing the voice of my shepherd more and more. I'm challenging me to that. I'm just really working hard at it to go, Lord Jesus, today, right at the beginning of the day, make me so sensitive to your leading today. Look at another quote by Heibel's there. He continues, these leadings are rarely audible. Don't you wish they were? 
Don't you wish you would sit at that table and suddenly the Holy Spirit says, um, Hey, Megan, and just out loud says stuff. I don't know about you, it's never happened to me. And Heibel says the same thing. I have never had a leading from God that I have heard with my ears. I refer, refer to them more as impressions on my mind. When I journal, pray, and seek God, he will sometimes impress an individual's name on my mind. Then I know I need to give that person a call or send a note of encouragement. I think that's a real foundational way of doing this. When God begins, you know, we want to have the great big God lead me here things. And God says, how about helping, I'll help you become sensitive to the little stuff first. And we'll grow in this. So when God uh, lays somebody on your mind Pray for that person right away. I had that really neat experience happen this last um, couple weeks ago with me. I was walking at the mall, and I have a deal with God that any time he, he brings somebody to my mind, I will pray for that person. That's just a deal I've had for years and years and years. And so um, I was at the mall, and I was... I thought of somebody that I hadn't thought of in several years. She used to go to our church and, and uh, goes to a different church now. So I'm just praying for her and for her husband. I don't know anything about them. Wasn't a like pray for this person because she's in need. It was, you know, just draw her close to you and work in her life and just encourage her and stuff like that. A couple days later, I got an email from her. Now this doesn't always happen. Don't you love it when people tell you these things and you go, "Well, that doesn't happen to me." Well, it doesn't happen to me either, but it did this time. And it's fun to tell these kinds of stories. And so she wrote me and she said, Patty, I was um, on a cruise this last week. And I was sitting at dinner and they had us really close. I wish I hadn't started this because now I can finish the story and I don't have it in my notes. We don't have time for this. Um, she said, I was sitting at the table and they, there was a couple of, four people over here and they were loud and obnoxious. And there was a couple right here, right beside us. And um, this couple, these four people were just driving us crazy. And she said, I looked at this lady over here, and we just kind of rolled our eyes at each other. See, we were almost on top of each other. And she said, we just rolled our eyes at these people over here because they were just so obnoxious. And she said, then, uh, she said, this lady and I began talking. And this, uh, she said, where are you from? And this lady says, Traverse City, Michigan. And the lady says, where are you from? And she said, I'm from Bettendorf, Iowa. And, or, I'm from the Quad Cities, probably a place you've never heard. And this person says, I know where that, where that is. My sister lives there. My sister's a pastor's wife there. She said, Patty Bray? <laughs> she said, yeah, Patty Bray. It was my sister Leona sitting by my friend Jackie. And they were, then they just began developing a nice talk and stuff. And I, and I wrote her back and said, Jackie, you think that's neat? Listen to this. I was just praying for you, probably the day that happened. Isn't that just so neat? And I wonder how many times if we would write people notes and if we would call people when we're impressed to pray for them, tell them we're praying for them, maybe that would happen more often. So I just tell you that to say, that's not going to happen every time, but it might happen more often. Okay, let's go. Um, Heibel says this. There may be, uh, let's see, my question is, um, oh yeah, he says, or may there... Or there may be some facet of my own growth as a follower of Christ that's out of balance. God, by a quiet leading of his spirit, will bring it to my attention and call me to confess, to confession and to a changed life. And my question is, are you developing an increased sensitivity and responsiveness to him? How do you do at spending quiet moments alone with your Savior? How do you do at when He speaks to you 
through a sermon or through the word or through heartstrings? How are you doing at being responsive to it? So let's talk about that. The question on your note guides is this. How are you currently doing at creating that quiet center where God can speak deep into your spirit and direct you? What most helps you to be in a place where you can hear from your Savior? Or if you want to draw in a few other thoughts of the stuff I just mentioned, then feel free to do that. But just talk about how are you growing or not growing at being really sensitive to the leading of the Spirit? Let me tell you, if you're new at Heartstrings, one of the things that we do, we know that some of us extroverts like to talk and tell our opinions and jump in and, and, and just, you know, talk a lot. And so we're working really hard at not doing that. So um, I'll often say, like I'll do right now, if you are the extrovert who likes to talk, then you be real quiet on this. Be real sensitive to the spirit. Let everybody else talk. And then if there's any time, you jump in there. Okay? Um, I know how hard it is, but you can do it. Let's go to the people who haven't spoken yet. How are you doing with being sensitive to the spirit? Go. Many of you brought up um, this weekend's message. And I agree. That is just such a great message, I thought, for all of us. And it really ties into this, doesn't it? If we're not making time for him, we're not going to be more sensitive to him. Okay, so think about those things um, this week. But let's jump into the book of Philippians. But we're still kind of staying in Acts to learn about it. We're going to do this part really, really fast. So we can get into the first chapter, the first verse at least. We're going to talk about the converts at Philippi. And I'm excited about talking about this because I think I have a good question that will be really convicting to some of you. And I love those kind of questions. In Acts chapter 16, the assignment that I've just given you to study this week, um, Paul comes to Philippi, and there aren't enough Jewish men to form a synagogue. You have to have ten men who are the heads of household to have a synagogue. Well, they, he doesn't have that. So in Chapter 16, it'll tell us that he goes down then to the, uh, to the water where he's, there are some people just meeting there. And he's hoping to find some people who are praying together, some like God-fearing people. And if you read chapter 16, you'll find three groups of people that he begins having for his first church. Let me just throw the names out and who they are, and then you can study it this week, okay? The first one on your notes in Acts chapter 16, verses 13 to 14, you find a businesswoman named Lydia. A businesswoman named Lydia. She's a worshiper of God, but she's not yet a follower of Christ. She was kind of a cosmopolitan woman who was living in Philippi while she's doing business, trading in expensive fabrics and clothing. And Paul talks to her, and she responds, and she just responds in great ways. And in fact, she says, you know, come to my house and teach me more. And, and she kind of becomes a little bit of a base for him a little bit later when he's beaten and they try to get rid of him. Um, so Lydia is the first convert. Then the second convert is a little slave girl. A little slave girl. I mean, it's just a fascinating story that you can read this week in verses 16 to 23. She's a fortune teller. She's possessed by an evil spirit. And Paul comes along and gets rid of the evil spirit so she doesn't have the fortune telling ability anymore. And she becomes a convert. Well, that causes him and Silas to be... Get, to, to get in a lot of trouble. People don't like what he's doing, and so they're thrown into jail. And in one of my, if I had to choose 10 books of the Bible, or 10 uh, chapters of the Bible that touch me the most, this would be one of them. Go back to the 
uh, Acts chapter 16. Paul and Silas are thrown into prison and talk about convicting stuff. Uh, let's look at verse 22 to see what happened to them. The, Acts chapter 16, verse 22. The crowd joined in the attack against Paul and Silas, and the magistrates ordered them to be stripped and beaten. After they had been severely flogged, they were thrown into prison, and the jailer was commanded to guard them carefully. Upon receiving such orders, he put them in the inner cell, probably not a real nice place to be, and fastened their feet in the stocks. And Paul and Silas sit there and gripe and grumble and yell and scream so much that the magistrate comes and says, get these out. No, 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 no. How would you feel? You have only been serving Jesus. You have only been doing what he wants you to do. You have only been proclaiming the gospel. You've only been healing this little demon-possessed girl. And you're beaten severely. You're thrown in this horrible dungeon. And your legs are in stocks. And look at what they're doing. They go, i got a witness for Jesus here. I need Christ. Verse 25, about midnight, Paul and Silas, it gives me goosebumps, they were singing and uh, they were praying and singing hymns to God. And the other prisoners were listening to them. Of course they would, because that's crazy stuff. When you're going through terrible stuff, you don't sit often and praise Jesus and tell him how much you love him and still be a witness for him. Paul and Silas said, that's the only way to live. When we study the book of Philippians the next month, we'll say, he's living this stuff out, isn't he? When he says, do everything without planning and arguing so that you'll be complaining and arguing so that you'll be like stars in the universe, he just did it. And then what happens if you know the story? An earthquake comes. And the jailer and his whole family give their lives to Christ. The first converts of Philippi. Wow. There are so many lessons in just this one story. Paul, but I want to just kind of hone in on one little thought. And that's regarding the church. Paul has a bunch of converts now. Lydia, cosmopolitan lady, probably wealthy little slave girl doesn't know anything the jailer and his family they all get baptized all give their lives to Christ and then from there it begins to spread and the church is growing and it's an eclectic bunch of people don't know each other don't know all everything what they're supposed to be doing but they unite and begin this church that eventually you and I study as the book of Philippians It made me think about our church, or perhaps I know a few of you are from a few different churches about your church, and how different the individuals are that make up the church. So different, Shirley. Isn't it the truth? I love Shirley because she knows how to get you going. She's the one who's amening and saying, yeah, and I'm going, okay, let me tell you more, Shirley. (laughs) I just can't even look right at you because I just want to talk to you. (laughs) You know what I'm talking about, Shirley? beautiful black lady sitting by people who we don't have enough of the the black people in our church surely let's get more of them okay we need some people from all kinds of different parts of the world don't we all kinds of people some of you got money some of you don't know how you're going to pay your electric bill this week some of you have known christ for 20 and 30 years some of you i just talked to one of you said this is new to me oh my goodness how does god build the church but he does 
And somehow he takes us and unifies us, different as can be, and makes us one. At least that's his will. But for that to happen, every single person in the church has to do a job so that we can have that unity. And I began thinking about my part in the church, your part in the church. And I want to ask a couple really convicting questions that I hope will just convict you so much that you just ask God to forgive you if you're not doing this stuff. It's on your note-taking guides there. And I hope you're really honest with, your, with yourselves and each other. Do you deliberately think to make people feel comfortable at your church, regardless of their age, their color, their social background? Or do you more often sit back and expect people to make you feel welcome? What keeps you from doing this better? Because I don't care how good you are, you can do it better. I can do it better. Do you need to spend more time in prayer? Asking God to forgive you and give you more determination to make your church the place God wants it to be? Some good questions. I'm going to do something I seldom do. You have five minutes to talk about this. Go to it. Oh, and again, I saw it happen. Some of you need to not talk yet. Let other people just, I mean, just, you need to sit there and if they stop talking, go, okay, come on, tell us more. Pull more out. Go. Let me encourage you, let me encourage you, just as I encouraged you this morning about praying out loud, just, you know, pray a sentence prayer, I encourage you with this too. Um, If you're an introvert, you're not going to come in and act like Aaron or Cheryl or a few people who, some of you are natural extroverts. And I really think that if you're a natural extrovert, you better get off the dime and get busy using your gifts. Really. Don't. Get busy using that. Some of you are natural introverts, and we should never expect you to look like the extroverts. But we should expect you to care about people. All you have to do to start off is when you sit down talk to the person next to you or in front of you or in back of you and you say but I'm so shy that's asking so much who lives in you if you can't do this don't expect to be used greatly for God but just say I'm going to care more about the person than I am my how I appear and you, you know you always won't do it exactly right I went up to a guy this weekend and invited him to the 55 singles plus. He said, Patty, how old do you think I am? (laughs) Oh, I hate it when I do that. Fortunately, he was 52. He wasn't 47. But I have to say, I, I walk away and go, okay, Lord, I just, I still have to do stuff for you, even if I look like a fool sometimes. I'm not going to let that kind of stuff stop. And I do that a lot. <laughs> how often, you know, how long have you been coming to church here? And, and Or have I met you? And yeah, four or five times, Patty. But I just got to say, it's not about me. It's about the church, the body of Christ. And it is your job and my job to make it the best it can be. What are you going to do about it? 
it's chapter one. We're going to get through uh, a line or two. You can turn there now. I love the first verse of Philippians. I put it on your note-taking guides, too, so that you can kind of write in it and tear it apart a little bit. Paul and Timothy. Timothy is probably like a stenographer kind of thing. Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus. Let's stop right there. Would you circle the word servants? It was 1978. Some of you have heard this story before. It's 1978, and I went to a conference, and Ruth Ann Polston stood up before the conference in Waterloo, Iowa, and said, every time you open God's word, it should speak to you. Every single time. And I'd studied the word since I was 10 years old, and so that wasn't like a novel thought, but I wasn't that every time I opened the word, I felt like God spoke to me. So I thought, I trust Ruth Ann. I'm going to see if this works. So it was a Saturday afternoon. I went back to the little church in Moline. Patty um, didn't even have children yet. It was before I was pregnant. Didn't even have a child. And um, went up to the altar of the church, knelt down, took my Bible, and opened it. And I said, "Okay, God, Ruth Ann says that every single time I open the Word, it should speak to me." And, and Ruth Ann said, "So read until it speaks to you, and then stop and talk to God about it." said, I can do that. Where should I stop? start, God? I don't know. I love the book of Philippians. I think I'll go to Philippians. Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians. Okay, God, I'm going to read it until it speaks to me, and then I'm going to stop and talk to you about it. If I stay here all afternoon, I'll do that. Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus. Oh, my goodness. It was like the word servant leaped off of the page. Servant of Christ Jesus. And for the next hour, I began talking to him about Patty Bray and about being servant of Christ Jesus. It changed my life. Because now I really believe and I teach it to everybody that I teach. Every time you open the word, God wants to speak to you. Sometimes it doesn't happen on the third or fourth word. Sometimes it's the third or fourth chapter. But every single time, he wants to speak to you. His word is living comes off the pages into our lives to transform us. Well, I later found out that when Paul used the word servant, servants, he could have used one of various words, especially one of two words that were prominent that time in the original language. He could have used the word, it's on your note-taking guides there, oikos, O-I-K-O-S. And an oikos was a, was a, a, a servant, but it was more a hired servant. A hired servant who had the freedom to come and go. It was kind of like the blue-collar worker in that day, who was just, he was the, he was, they kind of looked at them as slaves. But he was up to, he could come as he wanted, and he could leave. A hired servant. He could have used the word doulos, D-O-U-L-O-S, and that was a slave. A slave in every sense of the word, and it meant abs- in absolute possession of someone. In absolute possession of someone. If you were the doulos servant, you were absolutely owned by that master. It's a word that Paul uses 39 times in his letters to people. Guess which one Paul is using in Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus? What do you think? Yeah. He says, Paul and Timothy, doulos of Christ Jesus. 
his absolute slave with no longer any options because God was making him, God was owning him, but it was his own choice. Paul says, by my free will, as a choice, I'm his doulos. Now, I, over the years, have thought a lot about this and thought, as a Christian, what would be the difference in a Christian's life if she believes she is an oikos or if she believes a doul- she's a doulos? What would you say around your table for about just a couple minutes because we're getting closer to the end already and I want to do one more thing. But if you think you're an oikos servant, how does that differ than if you believe you're the doulos servant? The oikos, you're a hired servant, but you have the freedom to do what you want to do. The doulos, you're an absolute possession of Jesus Christ. How would it be different just take a couple minutes and one or two people throw something out there on your table. Just if you can come up with one or two differences in those two ways of looking at it. Hey, guys. I think this is a question you could talk about for a lot longer. And I want it to be a concept that we come back to. Uh, you other teachers think about this too. I want it to be a concept that we keep coming back to. Somebody asked me, do you think that this is you know, just for a pastor to be the doulas servant? I am convinced with every fiber of my being that God longs for every single Christian to be a doulas servant. Every single Christian. I'm convinced that a lot of people don't get there. Especially in today's Western culture. And I am begging God to help us this semester have more people get there. Now, I'm not saying that it's a, okay, today I became a doulas servant. And I have nothing to think about the rest of my life. Somebody said it well. Some days I'm a doulas, some days I'm an oikos. But my goal for you and for me is that we increasingly see ourselves as people who say, I and my masters, every part of me. And then what he does is he starts taking down the layers to show you where he's not yet. So it's like a lifetime then. But is there a part of you that says more than anything else in this world, I want to be all he wants me to be? I wonder, um, oh, uh, let me tell you this because I want to get to this in the last five or ten minutes. Aristotle later took this idea in Greek of the um, doulos. And he said that it could be considered in this visual. I love. He said it's like a person is a living tool. A living tool. I love that. Because I like visuals that help me really figure it out a little bit more. And on your table, everybody has a tool. Some of these are massive tools. I asked the guys to give me a tool for every table. And some of them gave me tools. Look at this. Pull that up, Jennifer. If you can. <laughs> As a tool. Yeah. I guess they wanted to make sure they were tools we could see. I want you to do something with them. I want you, hand me your take, Daddy, hand me your tool. That's a screwdriver, baby. I want you, if you can hold it, some of you might not be able to hold yours, I want you to take your tool and pass it around the table, and I want you to think about what are some truths that about being a doula servant and living tool. 
Like, when you compare it to this, like if I am, if you got a hammer, what is it about having a hammer that can translate into the doulos? Okay, the master is the one who hammers. He can use me at his will. Just want to see if you can kind of picture any kind of, you can pretend this is a hammer if you want, but just, I want to get the visual in your mind of, of a living tool. So what is it that Aristotle, of course, wasn't a Christ follower? So we take it in the Christ follower part. What does it mean then to be a living tool for God? And you can talk about it personally. For me, being a living tool means this. Or for me, a living tool, I'm struggling with this. Or a living tool means that and I'm not there yet. But just around your table, take three or four minutes and, and don't do a long time. Just kind of take it, each of you take about 30 seconds and say, living tool, I like that, or I'm not sure what it means, or this is what it means for me. What does it mean to be a living tool in the hand of your master? Go. I know that's... I know that's not a lot of time, but we're out of time. What I want you to do this week is write the word assignment on your notes where it says the questions, the last two, next two questions. Why is it so difficult for us to be the doulas? Why is it that we would rather be the oikos? And what in you needs to change in order to become his living tool? Those are two questions I want you to put as an assignment and pray over and think over. And we'll start next week with those two thoughts, okay? Now around your table, I want you to end in prayer. As you look back over the lesson, it may be that you want to pray about your role in your church. That God would help you to become more the servant and less the person who wants to be taken care of. It may be that he wants to talk to you and change you when it comes to be... Maybe you want to go from the oikos to the doulos servant. Maybe you want to become his living tool. I don't know what you want to pray about. But around your table, would you just take a few minutes and jump in there and um, talk to the Lord? Maybe you want to pray for heartstrings. Maybe you want to pray that his word will be more real in your life this year. But everybody around your table, if you would, just... Lead out in a bit of a prayer. If you, we may not get to everybody, but let's take this before the Lord, shall we? Go. Lord Jesus, says, just thinking as I was listening to these people pray, thinking how you could change the world around us if we would become do lost servants. If we become your living tools. And I pray that you take each one of us deeper in what that means. And I pray, Lord, all week long as these women and I um, interact with you and people and as we have our quiet time, that you'd speak to us and that your call would ring out in our hearts and lives that you're saying, I want you to be my doulos. I want you to be my living tool. It's just thinking that for any tool, it just lays on the shelf until the master takes it and uses it the way he has designed it to be used. So, Master, would you help every one of us in this room 
this week even, to take a step or two or three or four or fifty in the direction of saying, I'm a servant. I'm a doulos. I'm a living tool. And when people do that, would you fill them with joy? I think that's what you do. We think, why don't we be that way? Because he'll take away stuff and he'll demand stuff and it'll be hard. It's the way you've created us to be. It's the rest of it that the other way is not how you want us to be. Fill us with joy as we find ourselves being used as tools in the master's hand. I pray in your precious name. Amen. Hey, as you get ready to leave, would you make sure that you check off the attendance because I want to contact everybody who wasn't here. So make sure that those are checked. Have a wonderful week. I have to go to a funeral next door, so I'm going to go out of here really fast, okay? I like to stay around and talk usually, but today I better go.